Hey, everybody, it's JT from Grilling at the Green. John Breaker and the great folks at Birdie Ball have a short time offer for all of you listeners. You just go to birdieball.com, and when you place your order, there's a place on that form for a discount code. Use G-A-T-G. That's G-A-T-G. Of course, it stands for Grilling at the Green. And you will get 20% off anything you order from birdieball.com. Now, it's a short-time offer. It expires in about a week, so you want to get on it. Go to birdieball.com, place your order, uh, use the code G-A-T-G, and get 20% off. You heard it here on Grilling at the Green. It's time for Grilling at the Green. Join Jeff Tracy as he explores the golfing lifestyle and tries to keep it in the short grass for the hackers, dew sweepers, and turf spankers. Here's Jeff. Just open up the door and let's take good times in. Hey everybody, welcome to Grilling at the Green. I'm JT and you're listening to us here on uh, AM 860, The Answer and the Golf News Network. Uh, This portion of Grilling at the Green is brought to you by Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef the way nature intended, and also Ben Hogan Golf, home of the Ben Hogan Golf demo program. No risk, no obligation. Check it out at benhogangolf.com. You have probably read his work. If you haven't, uh, you've probably been under a rock. Ron Syrak is here with us for nearly 20 years. Ron was the uh, senior writer for Golf Digest, the executive editor of Golf World. And uh, prior to joining those magazines, he worked for the AP for 18 years and um, did a lot of things, written some books. So we're going to find out all about that today. Ron, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. No problem. So um, my little list of questions that I usually prepare for my guests, and I'll just start right from the top. How's that? Did you always um, have an interest in writing in golf, or was that something kind of an acquired taste like single malt scotch that we developed? <laughs> well, uh, uh, I got into it in a very, very roundabout way. I've, uh, uh, I started playing golf at a very, very young age. I grew up... Uh, in western Pennsylvania, not far from Pittsburgh, and uh, right in the uh, in the uh, heyday of the Arnold Palmer era, my dad worked in the steel mills. And when he was 35 years old, my dad took up golf because this local kid started winning golf tournaments. Arnold Palmer. So yeah. I, I got involved with golf early. But my plan was uh, uh, when I when I, uh, I was going to go to college, I was going to uh, um, get ready to go to law school, become a lawyer. And when I was in college, I fell and started working for a weekly newspaper, fell in love with writing. Uh, but I was a news writer until I was 37 years old. And then uh, I was at the AP, and they offered me a job in the sports department as an editor, and I went in there and then uh, eventually ended up becoming the golf writer there and then got the offer to go to the golf magazines. That was a nice transition, though. I mean, that was seemed like it was rather smooth. Some some guys kind of go through their career and they bounce around, and then finally they end up there. So um, my microphone is running away from me here, so forgive me. Um, so how is your golf game? <laughs> it's uh, it's not as good as it once was, but it's still pretty. You know, I have uh, when I'm home, I travel a lot. So uh, when I'm home, I play three times a week, and my game gets gets going pretty good. And then I then I go on the road for a few weeks, and I don't play any golf then. And, and uh, so it takes me a little while to get it back. But uh, I still love playing the game, that's for sure. There you go. I had to just throw that in there. Um, actually, uh, our mutual friend Jim Dodson wanted me to ask you this question. Um, how has golf 
changed in your eyes over the last 25 years? Oh, boy. I, you know, I, probably the, 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 well, there's two things that have changed dramatically over 25 years. One is the equipment. Uh, um, it's, it, it's, it's so much better, and it's had a, an incredible impact in the game. And, and the other is conditioning. And, uh, um, and, and the players, both men and the women, they all work out. And, you know, I, I think years down the road when we look back and we, we evaluate the impact Tiger Woods had on the game of golf, Two of the things that we're going to see that he impacted the most is he attracted a better quality of athletes to the game of golf, and he taught people in golf the importance of conditioning. Uh, and Tiger brought a better athlete into the game by, one, making the game cool, and two, making it possible to get rich playing golf. Um, and, and then, uh, um, you know, his workout program uh, really has become something that uh, almost everybody in there uh, does now. And uh, 25, 30 years ago, there weren't too many. I mean, outside of Gary Player, there weren't too many people actually doing workout routines. Now, almost all the top players have one. Yeah, there was uh, in those days. There was a lot of guys that looked kind of like me, which is um, full figured. I would say, yeah. you know, yeah, you, yeah. you, you kind of yeah. have to swing around certain things to get to the ball, meaning my gut. So I remember, you know, a lot of players looking like that growing up, watching it on TV and stuff that. They weren't, uh, not all of them, I mean, but there were some that were a little thicker. And uh, you don't really see that now, not even on the senior tour. Yeah, you know, uh, for a long time, golf sort of got the athletes uh, who didn't make it in other sports. And uh, and and then, again, that's something that, that Tiger changed. You look at people like oh, Dustin Johnson and, and, and Brooks Kepka and Tony Finau and Gary Woodland and just big, strong guys who could, who could play a bunch of different sports. They're just really, really uh, uh, gifted, talented athletes. And, and you know, uh, again, uh, you can't underestimate what Tiger meant to the business side of golf. Um, in the Tiger Woods era, PGA Tour purses quintupled. Um, um, they, uh, Tim Fincham, the former commissioner who just went into the World Golf Hall of Fame, uh, um, leveraged Tiger Woods for several really lucrative TV contracts that drove the prize money up. And when there was a chance then to make a lot of money, a lot of people chose went into golf instead of the other sports. Uh, when I first started covering the game, a backup shortstop in baseball was making more money than the highest paid golfer on tour, and uh, that's not the case anymore. No, and you don't get hit as much, you know, like if you're exactly because Kepka can play linebacker and um, he, he doesn't have to take the body hits, you know, so that's a good thing. Um, you, you talked a little bit about the uh, equipment and there's big discussions all the time around, especially today. And, you know, if you look at stuff on the Web, the different social platforms, it's it's a bit divided. Uh, as far as the equipment, should they roll back the the distance on the ball? Should they do this? What are your thoughts on that? Well, um, here's what I think it's really going to become uh, uh, an issue, which is, um, uh, you know, maybe 25 years ago, 20 years ago, John Daly was the only player hitting it over 300 yards off the tee, and now you've got uh, several dozen players. Right, getting it over 300 yards off the tee. And what's changed the game even more is the 190-yard 7-iron. 
you know. <laughs> uh, um, people are hitting high shots with spin uh, into greens from distances that they didn't used to be able to do that. Um, it becomes an issue when it starts to affect two things. One, the entertainment value of the game. If it becomes entirely a drive in the wedge game, it's going to lose some of its interest. It hasn't gotten to that point yet, mm-hmm. and people like the drivable par fours. That's been a great innovation in the game. But the other, the other danger is, you know, part of what's cool about baseball is Wrigley Field and Fenway Park were both built in 1912, and they're both still relevant. Sure. If we get to the point where some iconic golf courses are made obsolete, um, the old course of St. Andrews is already, with the winds not blowing, there are six par fours there that are drivable by, by today's players. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't want to lose the St. St. Andrews. We don't want to lose Augusta National. You know, uh, right. if, 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 if those courses become obsolete, uh, to me, that would be to the detriment of the game, and that's where how far people are hitting the golf ball um, would start to would, would have a negative impact on the game. Don't you think that part of the um, the allure was watching, let's use Tiger for an example, some of those incredible shots from, uh, you know, 279 yards on a par five, and he, and he takes a five iron and he curves it between two threes and over the Goodyear blimp, um, you know, and around the uh, snack shack and, and drops it 18 inches from the cup. I mean, that's kind of really cool stuff if you're really into golf for me. Well, I remember uh, I was I covered the last amateur tournament Tiger Woods ever played, which was the U.S. Amateur at Pumpkin Ridge, yep. 1996. And uh, Tiger was hitting at 310 at the time when everybody else was hitting at 285. You know, and and um, there's uh, 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 the ninth hole there, the giant bunker in the middle of the fairway, and, and you can lay up short of it, you can go left, you can go right of it. Uh, Steve Scott, who he played in the finals, uh, hit a two iron off the tee to lay up short of the bunker. So he hit two iron, two iron into the par five. Tiger took it over the bunker and hit driver wedge. You know, he, he just played the hole like that bunker wasn't there. But he's the only person who could do that. Uh, same thing on number 11, the par five, a double dog leg. And he cut the second dog leg uh, with, a, with a seven iron and, and get to the green in two. Nobody else could do that. Yep, absolutely. We're going to take a break here on Grilling at the Green. Ron and I will be back after these messages. Please stay with us. Hi, everybody. It's JT, and this is a special version of Grilling at the Green. Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Hey, welcome back to Grilling at the Green. I'm JT. You're listening to us here on AM860, The Answer, and the Golf News Network out there. Our friends down at Langdon Farms, they are complying with all the mandates. Uh, in order to keep the golf course open and uh, the people safe. So you might want to check online with them. They have a whole list of things that they're doing. One person per cart, sanitizing the carts. You can still order things from the pro shop and you can still order things from the, the Langdon's Grill there. But it's just under a little different circumstances, like we all are across the country. So check it out there online. Um, You can do pretty much everything with those guys online. We're talking with uh, Ron Sorak from... um, 
golf fame? Because you've uh, you're pretty famous, actually, aren't you, Ron? <laughs> I'm pretty old. I've been out here a long time. <laughs> well, you this, would, this year, this year, it went, whenever they get it, I guess it's going to be in November. It'll be my 31st Masters, and uh, and I'm getting up near about 200 major championships, men's and women's combined. Well, there you go. Well, you were also um, PGA Lifetime Achievement Award in journalism. Uh, what in 2015? I I think it was. Yeah. I did, and I did get that in 2015, yeah. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's to, you know, dedicated to your craft is, I'm impressed with that. I really am. I, I think that's very good. Um, over your career, what struck you as, like, a wow moment, Ron? Like, something you just went boom, and was it, was it Tiger? Was it um, when Arnie, yeah. Arnie stopped playing? What was it? Well, I, I'll, I'll name a couple things off the top of my head. Sure. And one is the only time that I've ever uh, applauded in a media room uh, and, and took off my journalist hat and became a fan was 1994 U.S. Open at Oakmont. And uh, uh, Arnold Palmer uh, missed the cut. It was his last U.S. Open. And uh, he came into the interview room to do his interview after he missed the cut. He sat down. He tried three times to answer questions, and each time he tried to talk, he broke down and, and couldn't get the words out. And finally, he just looked up and said, sorry, guys, I can't do it. And this is the guy who always gave us everything we ever needed. And as he got up to walk out, about 300 reporters stood up and gave him a standing ovation. Uh, that's one of the most moving things uh, that yeah. I ever saw. Uh, Golf-wise, um, the entire 2000 season by Tiger Woods is, is just that that's that's as good as I've ever seen. Uh, I mean, the way that he played that year, he won he won three major championships, and uh, um, you know he won the, the Ernie. Well, I'll tell you how good Tiger was in 2000. Ernie Els finished second in both the U.S. Open and the British Open, back to back majors. He finished second by a combined 23 strokes. <laughs> Tiger won the U.S. Open by 15 and the British Open by eight, and uh, that was just off-the-charts phenomenal golf. But overall, the three greatest winners I covered, Jack Nicklaus, Tiger Woods, Annika Sorenstam. And what made them special is they not only forgot their, their losses immediately, they forgot their wins immediately. They could win a tournament, go out and play the next week as if they'd never won a tournament in their life. That hunger, that desire uh, never went away for them, and that's truly what made them special. There's a lot of players... You know, they win, and then maybe mentally they take the next week off. You know, they show right. up, but they don't really give it their all. Tiger, Jack, Annika, never, never, never mailed it in. Never. Uh, speaking of Annika um, and the LPGA, do you think that the LPGA gets a fair shake when it comes to media coverage and stuff? I think there's a lot of people who go out of their way to try to figure out ways to, to, to bring down the, the LPGA. Um, but I do think that they are in, in a really important uh, place right now. They, they just negotiated um, a new TV deal, and it goes into effect in 2022. And um, uh, they hired as, as their agent to negotiate the TV deal for them the PGA Tour. 
So, and because uh, the PGA Tour and the LPGA's contracts uh, expire at the same time, sure. So they went in and they negotiated sort of uh, a joint contracts. So that new that new deal in 2022 is going to bring better TV exposure to the LPGA, and it's going to bring uh, more revenue into the LPGA, and that'll be a big step forward uh, um, um, to get the product uh, on TV particularly on network TV on the weekends more than it is right now. So people can see what a, what a good product it is. I always say the biggest critics of women's golf, uh, both among the fans and among the media uh, are people who don't go to the tournaments. Um, when you experience the product, you realize, first off, they are awesome athletes to deal with because you have incredible access. They just, um, oh, they, yeah. they love to talk about, about their game and, um, um, that makes it a, it makes it fun. As a writer, the better you know someone, the better you can write about them, and they let you get them. Sure. Well, we have the Cambia. Uh, used to be the Safeway, the Portland Classic out here, and I've covered that for I don't know ten years now or something, whatever. Um, and you're right; they're very accessible. You can walk up and talk to them um, when their rounds over, of course, or you know maybe when they're getting out of their car. If you're walking up in the parking lot at the same time, but They'll always come to the media room. They'll always answer questions. Fans can ask them for, you know, take a picture. They're always very accommodating. Um, you know, they say that's that way on, on the men's tour, but uh, not always. <laughs> not always. Uh, I'll tell you, one of the more remarkable things that I saw was that the uh, ANA Inspiration used to be the Dinah Shore Tournament right. in Palm Springs. It's one of the LPGA's majors. And I, uh, I think this must have been 2017, and uh, Lexi Thompson uh, uh, has a two-stroke lead and um, the 12th, comes off the 12th green and finds out she's been hit with a four-stroke penalty for something she did the day before. So she went from two ahead to two behind, fights her way back, gets into a playoff, loses the playoff to a birdie on the first hole. So she, she had a tournament that she had wrapped up and won, gets this four-stroke penalty, um, 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 loses it in the playoff, stood there for 40 minutes and signed autographs. And that's just, that's just something that you, you're going to see from very, very few athletes after a heartbreaking loss like that. You probably wouldn't see Sergio do that. I'm guess, I'm guessing. <laughs> no, no, no. That, that, that he'd be, he'd be high on my list of people who weren't going to do that. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> Um, we're going to take another quick break, and Ron and I will be back here on Grilling at the Green. Please stay with us. Um, you're listening to AM860 and the Golf News Network. It's JT, and this part of Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Ben Hogan Golf. Check them out online at benhogangolf.com. Hey, welcome back to Grilling at the Green. I'm JT. Today we're talking uh, with Ron Syrak from um, golf writing fame. He's a Hall of Fame guy, too, in many ways, all kinds of awards. 
Um, we're going to get back and talk to Ron in just a second here. But first, we'd like to thank the folks at Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef the way nature intended. Ben Hogan Golf, two are quality clubs at factory direct prices. That's BenHoganGolf.com. And also Langdon Farms Grill. They When they get back and you can go in and actually sit down and eat, uh, don't forget their prime rib special on Friday nights, their ribs nights on Tuesday night. So um, that's it. Now we're going to go back and talk to Ron here. Um, what was the most fun you ever had covering any tournament? I don't care which one it was, but uh, the most fun you had that you can actually talk about on the air. <laughs> uh, well, you know, uh, probably uh, um, um, probably when Annika Soinstein played the men's event at Colonial in 2003. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, 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 I don't know if anybody has ever hit one single golf shot with as much pressure on them as she did with her first tee shot that day. The build-up to that was about three and a half months long because she announced in January that she wanted to play a men's event. And then that event was the third week of May, so it was that whole run-up to it. Uh, And and then um, there was about 540 credentialed media there, which is about what you get at a U.S. Open. Sure. Um, And and, uh, it was packed and... The first hole that she played on Thursday, she played the back nine first, number 10 at Colonial. It's a shortish par four. Um, um, it's, it's a layup club off the tee. She hit a forward off the tee. She normally hits her forward about 225 yards, and she hit a 252. <laughs> She's a little jacked up with the adrenaline. but that And she played from tee to green. Uh, she shot a 71 that day, and if if – if, if Brad Paxson or, or Christy Kerr had had been putting for her that day, she'd have shot 65 or 64. Uh, she, she, she putted for birdie on every hole and played incredible from tee to green. But the way the fans and, and the two players she played with that day embraced her, uh, it, it, it changed her. It changed women's golf. And if you, you think about it, what an incredible risk she took. If she had gone out that day and shot 84, She'd have hurt her reputation. She'd have hurt the reputation of the LPGA. And she went out and she didn't shoot an 84. And uh, she shot a 71. And, and it was just, it, it, that that was incredibly exciting. I, she's been on the show before and uh, very thoughtful and thorough with her answers when you interview her. Uh, at least for me it was. And I've seen her, uh, you know, you've written about her and I've seen her on television and that. And, uh um, I think she gives it her all. And if you follow her on social media at all, she's having a lot of fun with her husband, Mike McGee, and her kids now. So I think she's still giving it her all, even on the home front, I'm, I'm guessing there. Um, yeah, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, when she decided she was going to have kids, people were asking me, is she going to come back and, and play? And I said, you know, Annika's the kind of person who's like, She's now. She was the best golfer in the world. Now she's going to be the best mom in the world. Right. And you know she's going to put all of her time into that, and she has. She has. She's done a great job. Who was the toughest interview you ever had, Ron? Oh boy, uh, you know anybody's tough after after uh, um, they've kicked it away. You know, it, sure. It's. Uh, um, I remember there was a PGA. I want to say about 1989. There was a guy named. Uh, 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 Mike Reed, um, uh-huh. they called him Radar, Radar Reed, because he was so straight off the tee. And he had the PGA all wrapped up, and he came in down the stretch, and he hit two balls in the water. 
and ended up losing by a stroke. Uh, I think the Payne Stewart it was, but and Reed comes in the interview room and he just he just he was he was shell shocked and he just said, "It's only a game. Please God, tell me it's only a game." And that was one of the most moving things I'd, I'd seen in a, in an interview room. But I, it, it's it's I mean those are the, uh, and sometimes you know Dan Jenkins, the great great sports writer, once sure. told me early on when I was first out here, he always said. The best stories are in the loser's locker room, and uh, and they are, but they're hard to get because you're dealing with somebody who's licking their wounds at that time. Yep. What was the funniest story you think you ever got to write? <laughs> oh, gee. Uh, um, uh, uh, that's funny. Um, I'm not... <laughs> Uh, they're, they're probably now we're probably into the area of things that I can't tell you. But, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I just thought I'd but, ask. Uh, yeah. uh, um, I, again, I do remember as a nice memory. In again, it was 2003 was an amazing year for Annika Sorenstam. She played in that men's event. She won a couple of majors. She completed the career grand slam at uh, at Royal Lytham in in England, and. Uh, uh, and I, I ended up that day coming out of the interview room, finishing my interview with her, and I hear some people chanting her name, and I look up into the bleachers, and it's her caddy and her sister. And so we, we end up in the top row of the bleachers by the 18th green at Royal Lytham, and, and they, they had about uh, many, many pints of Guinness. There, there you go. And so, <laughs> so just was up there and, and, and having some pints with, uh, with uh, Team Monica celebrating her career grand slam that's always fun stuff though we we've had that here with um brooke uh henderson her sister yep. her caddy uh her sister's funny as a rubber crutch i mean she really is a couple times when brooke has come into the media room when it's done and everybody's asking her the questions and the cameras are snapping and all that you look out at the door and there's big sis standing there with a beer in her hand and her smile just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So I've gone out and talked to her a few times and, uh, it's a lot of fun. She's got, she's got insight. A lot of it I can't use on the air, but she's got insight. I'll put it that way. <laughs> um, we've got just about a minute here. So I'm going to lead you in with a question and then we'll pick it up in the next segment. How's that? We can do that. Okay, All right. So the question is going to be, how has golf journalism changed um i know when i first started getting interested in golf the the writers and stuff were pretty a lot of them like jenkins and stuff they were pals with some of the players and stuff but then some of that's changed so we'll talk about that when we come back but what we're going to do right now is we're going to go to our buddy bruce Furman, who's the um, director of instruction down at langdon farms and he's going to give you the tip of the week Hi, this is Bruce Furman. I'm the director of instruction out at Langdon Farms, and today's tip's going to be on how to hit a fairway bunker shot. Um, when you're in a fairway bunker, you've you've got to learn to hit hit the ball or strike the ball first, and then either pick it off the the top of the sand or or at least strike the ball then the sand. You don't want to hit it fat because then you're not going to get very far. When you're in a greenside bunker, you want to hit it fatter, meaning hit behind the ball, but not in a fairway bunker. So what you want to do is to dig your feet in to get a secure grip with your feet, and then as deep as you dig your feet in, two inches, one inch, three inches, whatever it might be, you need to choke up on your club to match that so that when you swing, 
you're not going to hit behind the ball. I would advise taking more club, at least one more than what you normally would hit, and, and make a little smaller, more controlled swing. Sometimes if you're able to, to hit a fade or a, a ball that curves to the right for a right-hander, that's an easier shot to play out of a bunker than it is to hit a, hit a draw or a hook. You definitely want to choose a club that you can get over the lip with, even if you hit the ball what we call thin, meaning you, just, you catch it on the low part of the face, because you don't want to hit that, that, uh, that front edge of the bunker and, and leave your ball in the bunker. So, so use, you know, don't be a hero. If you, if you need a, a nine iron to get out, even though it's an eight or seven to get there, go ahead and hit that shot. You, you, you probably can get that ball up and down or at least save some strokes if you get out of the bunker and you'll lose strokes if you hit that lip. So um, when you're in the bunker, if anything, you want to hit it again thin where you don't hit the sand behind it in the fairway bunker. And so choke up, dig your feet in, and pick that ball off the top of the sand. I hope that helps you. Thank you, Bruce. We appreciate that. And folks, for more information on Bruce Furman, you can go to langdonfarms.com, click on the instruction button, and it'll tell you all you need to know. We're going to be back with Ron um, in just a couple minutes. We're going to finish up the regular show, and Ron's going to stick around. He's got a tight schedule, but he promised me he'd stay for a little bit uh, for the after hours, too. So don't go away. You're listening to Grilling at the Green here on AM860 and the Golf News Network. everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Grilling at the Green. Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Hey, welcome back to Grilling at the Green. I'm JT. Uh, today we're talking with uh, uh, Ron. Am I saying your name right, Ron Syrock? Syrock. Yep. Syrock. Okay, sorry about that. Um, mm-hmm. Ron has written for years uh, all kinds of things, uh, Golf Digest, Golf World. He's written several books. We haven't even talked about the books, uh, but maybe we'll get to that in the after hours. Um, done a lot of fun things. But the question I asked you was, how has golf journalism changed since you started in the game and up to today? Well, I, I think the two biggest changes, one, there's fewer golf writers. Uh, um, and, you know, when I first started covering the beat, there were probably 35, 40 newspapers that had full-time golf writers. And, and they'd be out there. They'd, uh, they'd go to all the major championships. They'd usually go to events the week before the majors to get stuff for their preview stories. And, and, uh, and those just uh, have disappeared. And the, you know, internet changed that greatly. Uh, the other thing is, is that particularly with the men is, is access to the players is, is harder to get now as, as players got richer, um, they tended to travel and they travel. Now the top players travel in private jets. 
They get to a tournament. They stay in private houses that they rent rather than stay in hotels. And it's in those situations where you develop real relationships with players. You run into somebody at the hotel bar or you, you run into them in the waiting room at the airport and, and, and you develop a friendship, a, 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 an acquaintanceship with them and they get to trust you. And that's a, it's harder for that to happen now because the top players are much more isolated from, from the media than, than they used to be. So those are the two biggest things, access to the, to the top-tier players, particularly among the men, and the fact that there are fewer golf, way fewer golf writers out there than there used to be. Well, especially with the men, they, they travel, they've got their their crew, their posse, whatever you want to call it. They've got a, a, a trainer, a business manager, their agent, um, maybe a PR person. I mean, everybody's a little different, but they they kind of there's usually three or four people at least with them and to try to get to talk to them going through those people um i'm assuming would be kind of difficult at times it's you know one of the keys is to develop enough of a relationship with the player so that you don't have to go through the agent or the pr person so that you know the player you know you get the player's cell phone number and and you can just go directly to the player and all you know whenever i do that you know i always i never cold call a player i always text and say is you know is this a good time to talk but if you don't have that relationship, you've got to go through all those different layers of protection they have around them, uh, managers and, and PR people. And, and you know, as I, I'm, I'm guessing the last time that Tiger Woods was on a commercial airplane was probably when he flew into the 1996 U.S. Amateur and flew into Portland. Uh, you know, I, I'm guessing... Uh, um, you know, that's he true. There an amateur. He left there a pro. He probably left on a private jet. <laughs> he, he came in on a commercial jet. But he left on a private jet. and He hasn't looked back since. That is actually a true story because from Portland, uh, they signed that Nike deal for twenty-four million or what it was, whatever it was, and uh, he went to Minnesota right from there, I think. And Milwaukee, Milwaukee, Milwaukee Mi- Open. yeah, and they he flew on the Nike plane. Or one of the Nike yep. planes. That's that's a true story. You got that nailed there. Uh, last question for the show here, Ron. Um, what's the hardest story you ever had to write? Oh, you know, um, uh, 1996 Masters, Faldo Norman. Greg Norman started with a six-stroke lead and, um, and shot 78 and finished five back. He went from six up to five behind. And uh, uh, that, was a, that was a hard, painful thing to watch that day. Now you're you're still writing um, and you're doing freelancing, but you have a website. Tell people how they can find you and read your stuff on your website. Yeah, that they, they uh, uh, my website is ronsirak r o n s i r a k dot com. Uh, I I also write uh, I do a lot of writing for the uh, the LPGA's website lpga dot com. And, uh, well, back when tournaments were being played, I was on Golf Channel uh, uh, every Monday morning on Morning Drive um, um, talking about golf. And then when I was at tournaments, it would usually pop up a couple of other times during the week. But uh, uh, those are the main things. And you can follow me on Twitter, at at Ron Syrak, R-O-N-S-I-R-A-K. There you go. Um, Ron's going to stick around for the after hours, for those of you who listen to that. And uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time and it's been a real pleasure to talk to you 
Oh, thank you for having me on. It was a thrill for me. No worries. We'll be back next week with another edition of Grilling at the Green. Um, so take care, everybody. Get out there and practice your chipping and putting. Um, I think you can probably do that in your backyard or even your living room. Take care, everybody. Grilling at the Green is produced by JTSD Productions, LLC, in association with Salem Media Group, all rights reserved.